last mile of the way. Some of you probably remember the old song, when I've gone the last mile of the way, I will rest at the close of the day. Well, in John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, it's really about the last mile of the way with his disciples. We've already talked about John chapter 13 beginning with Jesus knew that his hour had come. And Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him. And Jesus knew that he had come from the Father and that he was going back to the Father. And Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And in that knowing was where the love was revealed. Knowing that Judas was going to betray him, he still served him. He still ate with him. He still washed his feet. The last mile of the way. We don't really know how far because we don't know the exact location of the upper room. In Israel, there, or in Jerusalem, there are places where people believe this was the last place, the, the site of the upper room. Regardless of where it was, people estimate because of that side and, and maybe just the general area that the walk from the upper room to where he crossed over the Kidron Brook was somewhere around a mile. If you noticed in one of the readings that we went through, the reading put us at the end of chapter 14, it says, get up. Let's go from here. You see, Jesus has been in the upper room teaching his disciples, talking to them and giving them hope and giving them these messages that they would hold on to for a long time. And in the middle of that message, at some point, he says, let's leave this place. And so they begin to walk. They begin to go from there and walk through Jerusalem Different parts of this passage, and we're not going to be able to look at every part in every way this morning, but we're going to look at several different things. Different parts, he's passing through different areas, and it's very likely that in John chapter 15 that was read for us a moment ago, as he's walking through and talking about the vine and the branches, there's a good chance he's walking through a place where there's vines, where there's a uh, there's grapes or other things that are growing, and he's using that as an example as he walks, as we might use a, a PowerPoint or as we might use something else to illustrate as we go. Jesus was walking with his disciples and talking about the things that he was seeing, the things that were there in front of him. He did that a lot. And so as they walked the last mile of the way, whether figuratively or literally, what is it that Jesus would tell his disciples that would help them? Think about the fact that these men had been walking with Jesus. We've been walking with Jesus this year as we've looked at all of these things and all of these interactions that Jesus has had. But these men had walked with him for three years. They'd watched him. They'd seen what he had done. They'd seen his miracles. They'd seen him calm the sea. They had, they had seen him calm the storms in people's lives. They've, they've seen him raise the dead. All of these things have happened as they have been at his side. 
And as he's, they're walking this last mile of the way with him, as they're thinking about these last things that Jesus is telling them, what is it that would bring comfort? What is it for us that would bring comfort in the last mile of the way? What is it that they needed to hear? Because that's what Jesus is going to give them. Jesus is going to teach them and talk to them both in the upper room and on this last walk. He's going to be helping them with what they're going to be facing in the future without him next to them. So what do they need to know about? What is it that they need to be taught? He reminded them, and and I invite you to just come to, to John chapter 13 through John chapter 16 with me as we look at that. We're not going to be going many other places. I may reference a few places, but we're going to stay right here in these chapters. And so I want you to see what Jesus tells them to help them. The first thing that he reminded them of that they needed to know about was their connections. Jesus wanted them to know about the connections that they had. And so John chapter 15, as they start that walk, he tells them about the vine and the vine dresser, the father, and that we are the branches within him. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and the father is the vine dresser. We were made in his image according to Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28. We were made in his image, and in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, he breathed life into us. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, he was walking in what with them? He was walking in the garden with them. One of the very first images we see of God and his people, Adam and Eve, in the garden. Now, all it tells us is that they heard God in the garden, which indicates to me that they had heard him in the garden before. They knew what he sounded like. They heard him coming through the garden. On that occasion, it was not a good thing because they had sinned. But before that, they had seemingly walked with God in the garden. He was the vine dresser. We're the branches. Jesus as the vine, the connection between God and Christians. The connection between God and mankind. There's always been that connection. But what Jesus says is, because of that connection, you can bear fruit. He sometimes prunes the the branches so that we can bear more fruit. But God intends for us to bear fruit. Sometimes there may be some discipline involved. Sometimes there may be him trimming and, and, and cutting and helping us to grow a little bit more so that we can bear more fruit. But I appreciated Cameron's prayer. Cameron's prayer was such that, please help us to bear more fruit. Are we, are we prepared to handle the pruning part of that? Are we prepared because of the connection with God for him to sometimes say, you know what, you aren't doing things exactly right. You know what, you need to change these things. You know what, you need to cut this stuff off and you need to add these things on and you need to help yourself in these ways so that you can grow. Are we comfortable with that? Are we ready for God to give us some things that sometimes are a little bit difficult for us? Because he says, apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. We've got to stay connected to the vine. And we've got to allow the vine dresser, 
the Father to help us, the connection. He wanted them to know you have a connection to God. Just because I'm about to not be here doesn't mean you don't have a connection with him. We are connected forever because of what Jesus Christ did. We're connected to God. We have that relationship with him. And so he's, he gives them this connection between God and Christians. And then if you move on a little bit further in chapter 15, look at what he says in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love what? You, you finish it. This is my commandment that you love one another. There's a connection between Christians and Christians. There's a connection between us, the commandment that he leaves with us, because we are a part of the Father. And by the way, who loved first? God loved first. And because God loved us, then he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love one another. He said this while they were in the upper room. Backtrack to John chapter 13. Beginning in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. There it is, even as I've loved you. I'm giving you this commandment that you love one another. I've already shown you how to do that. Jesus had already shown them what that looked like when he knew who was going to betray him and he washed his feet anyway. I've already shown you what it looks like. I've already shown you, I've already loved you, and God had loved them since the beginning. A new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I've loved you, so that you see that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The thing that, that indicates, the thing that points out to the world that we belong to God is that we love each other. If we're fighting and we're bickering and we're complaining and we're griping and we're talking about each other and we're, and we're showing hatred toward one another, how are we showing the love of God? How are people going to be able to know that we belong to him? He says, you will show that you're my disciples, you're my followers, you're my learners if you love one another because that's how you know that you're in me because I've loved you. I've shown you the love. Now show it to one another. There's a connection he says, you've got a connection with the Father. You've got a connection with one another. And then in verse, chapter 15, verse 18, you've got a connection with the world too, but it's not as good as the one with those two. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would have loved its own, but because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, then they will keep yours also. But, also, but all of these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Because you don't belong to the world, the world's going to hate you. Why is he telling him these things? This, this doesn't seem to be one of those moments of, of peace, does it? Hey, look, let me tell you what. God loves you and you love God and, and you love each other, but when you get out of there in the world, they're going to hate you. 
They're going to do things to you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to kill you eventually. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. These things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogues. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering a service to God. It doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? But notice what he said in verse 1 of that chapter. I'm telling you these things so that you do not stumble. You ever gone into something with what people call rose-colored glasses on? You go into a situation, I'm not, I don't want to implicate anyone, but maybe you went into marriage with rose-colored glasses on. You think, hey, everything's fine and dandy and everything will always be good and there will never be any problems. Maybe you went into having kids that way. You know, there'll never be any issues with this. Or maybe you went into a new job thinking this new job is perfect and there'll never be any problems. The reality is all three of those things come with problems sometimes, don't they? All three of those things come with issues and other things in life do. And what Jesus wants them to understand is when they're coming to this point in their life, he knows when he dies, where's the attention all going to go? They've been for years trying to do away with Jesus. What happens when Jesus is gone? They're going to put all the pressure on the Christians. And the whole book of Acts is about that, isn't it? That it's no longer just about the pressure put on Jesus. Now they've got to squash this new rebellion that's sprung up because of Jesus. And he just wants them to know. I need you to know this ahead of time so that you're prepared. I need you to know this ahead of time so that you don't stumble when it happens. It's going to happen. There's a connection between Christians and the world. It's not a good one, but it's a connection, and he needs them to know that that's going to happen so that they can be prepared when it does. But see, it wasn't just about connections. It's still a part of the connections, at least this next part is. See, part of the connection was the last mile that he speaks with them is about love. And we've already kind of touched on that a little bit, haven't we? That last mile is about the love that God had for them and the love that they're to have for one another. That's the two things there under love. That God had for them and the love that they were to have for God. Because see, it was that God started by loving them. He he showed them what love was. But look at verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I've loved you. Or I got that. Greater love has no one than this, than that one do what? Lay down his life for his friends. You see, God already shown us what love is. He he showed it in the upper room. But then he showed it by laying down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than that. But look at the next verse. Let's talk about our love for him. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I think we have to be careful with this because sometimes when we read that, we think, well, God's only saying you're his friend if you do what he commands you. That that he won't be your friend, he won't do anything for you until you do what he commands. I think we need to look at it the other way around. We show our friendship when we do what he commands. See, he's already said, I've laid down my life for you. Who did he do that for, by the way? John's already told us earlier in this book, hasn't he? 
John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world. Who's that include? Everybody. That's not just the ones who do keep his commandments. He loved the world. He gave his life for everybody so that we could be saved. But here he says, if you want to prove your love back to me, then do what I command you to do. I've given you these commandments. Now do what I've commanded you to do. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you. He says, I already see you as friends, but you've got to return the love. You've got to do what I command you. You've got to do what I've ordered you to do so that you can prove and you can show your love for me. And this love for one another, John chapter 15 and verse 17, this command I give you to love one another, we've already seen that. Remember what John says a little bit later in one of his other books, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. John says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from where? God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Again, he's already proven to us his love for what he, in the way that he did it. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, a satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another, for no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's what he's saying in that. Look, you've never seen God before. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you have, because we don't want to have to make those phone calls today, right? We have not seen God but have we seen each other? Have we seen the people that God created? And he says, look, if you show love to one another, then you're showing love to God because he created them. He created you. Love is manifested in the fact that God sent his own son to die for us, but he says you return that love to God in the way that you love each other in the way that you see each other. Verse John chapter 4 and verse 20 even goes so far to say this a few, chap- few verses later. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You can't say, I love God and then hate other people because you've seen people. You've laid eyes on them, and yeah, all with, with their, their good and their bad, but when you see one another, you cannot hate one another and have a connection with the Father. So Jesus is trying to remind them on this last mile, you're going to face difficulties, both from the outside and sometimes even on the inside. Even within the church, you read the the books of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Read Philippians and Galatians and Ephesians. Read 1 and 2 and 3 John. Read all of those books in the New Testament. And you tell me that the first century church was perfect. You tell me that the first century church didn't have its problems. They did. And sometimes 
Honestly, when we read those passages, they probably had more problems than we do. And that's why he told them, love one another. You're going to disagree. You're going to get frustrated with each other. You're going to have moments where things just aren't the way you want them. Love one another anyway. Find a way to love people. That's what he wanted them to know. Some of the last words that he gives them. Love each other. Even when things are difficult. Because, you know, when things get difficult on the outside, when the pressures at work and the pressures in the community and the pressures around the world get so tough, where do we sometimes take that out on? We take it out on the closest people to us, our family. I do it. I'm sure you've done it. Maybe it's the safe place to be, and so he knows. Look, sometimes the pressures on the outside are going to get tough, and it's going to start taking its toll on the church. Love one another. Love God and love one another. The last mile was not just about connections and about love, but it was about bringing peace. This is a difficult time. Someone that they loved very much was about to go away. It's never easy to lose someone. It's never easy to have someone that that you have loved so much and you have spent so much time with to pass from this life. But what makes it even more difficult in their situation here is that they know that when he leaves, the persecution is going to be amped up. And when Jesus is gone, they're going to begin to take the brunt of it. And so what's Jesus tell them? He tells them to have peace. How does he give them peace? Look at John 14. There's three ways in which John, Jesus gives them peace, it seems. The first way is that he reminds them of something. Do not let your heart be troubled, verse 1 says. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to what? Prepare a place for you. The first thing that Jesus tells them to take comfort in, don't let your heart be troubled in, have peace in, is that I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. There is hope in knowing that Jesus is going to take care of them. Now, we get this in hindsight. We get to read this knowing what Jesus went through, knowing what the hope is, seeing him resurrected, seeing him talking to his disciples, seeing what they did in the book of Acts, seeing what they wrote in all of those letters of the New Testament, and seeing what that means to us today. We get to look back and see it, and we go, oh, yeah, that's great hope. Jesus is talking to them in the moment, and they know something's different, something's going on. And even at the end of this passage where he's talking to them, they're still questioning, what does he mean by a little while and I'll be gone? What's he talking about? He's talking about leaving us? We've been with him for three years. Where are you going to go, Jesus? What's going to happen? He says, look, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't you know that at the end of this, they thought about it? They thought about after Jesus was was crucified, hey, he said he went to prepare a place for us. Those things started to sink in. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but in the meantime, I give you a gift. 
What kind of gift does he give them? He gives them the helper, the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 14 and verse 16. We're going to go through these very quickly. The helper that he gives to them. It says that he would be a comforter or a helper in verse 16. That he would be with them forever in verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you a helper and that he may be with you forever. Verse 17 he says, That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides in you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit will be in you. I'm giving him to you. I'm sending him to you. He'll be with you forever. He's going to be in you. And to the apostles, he says, in verse 14, chapter 14 and verse 26, that he's going to guide them into all truth. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Chapter 15 and verse 13. He also, or chapter 16 and verse 13, rather. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Here's what he's telling them. That the Holy Spirit's going to come to them, and the things that are still not filled in, the little blanks that they have, some of you get on to me sometimes because I go too fast and you can't fill in the blanks. Well, he says, look, those blanks that aren't filled in, the Holy Spirit's going to fill them in for you. You don't understand everything that's happening right now, but when I'm gone, the helper will come and he'll fill in the blanks for you. And that's why they wrote down these passages, these, these, these letters for us so that we understand what's in the blanks. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to be with you. He's going to comfort you and he's going to fill in the blanks for you. And then in verse chapter 16, in verse 7, he says this about him. I'm sorry, chapter 16 and verse 7, he will come in the absence of Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He comes in my absence. I I leave him here. Now, the, the important part for us is obviously we don't have the ability to write down the things that the Holy Spirit's not giving us a new message. We understand that. But in Acts chapter 2, when each one of us is baptized into Christ, what does it tell us? We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans, a little later, talks about because he is in us, we will be resurrected on the last day. He is still with us. He is still a part of this. He says he will be with you forever. He's going to continue to be a part of this story until the Lord comes back. He gave them a hope of a place. He gave them his gift of the Holy Spirit. And they also have peace in his sacrifice. Look at John chapter 16 and verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Why? I have overcome the world. See, what he was doing on the cross, people thought was the end. But it was the victory. It was the end. It was the end for Satan. Ultimately, it was the end for him. It was a victory for Jesus. And so he says, you have peace in what I'm bringing you. And that peace and that joy are connected because that's the last thing that he does. That's the last thing he speaks to them about is that joy that he has in them 
If you remember in verse 11 what Cameron read earlier for us, these things I've spoken to you that, you that my joy may be made in you and that your joy may be made full. I want you to look very quickly. I know as we get close to our time this morning, I want you to look quickly with me at John chapter 16 and verse 19. Jesus, knowing that they wished to question him, this is where they were going, what does he mean by a little, a little time and then he'll be gone away? What does he mean by that? Knowing that, that they wanted to question him, he said to them, are you deliberating together about this that I said in a little while and while you, not, you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. He says, there's coming a time in just a few hours where the world's going to rejoice because they will have done away with me and you're going to grieve, but I promise you that grief will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. There's that phrase again. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that the child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now. I know you're struggling right now. But look, your joy isn't just about circumstances. Joy isn't determined by circumstances. You're going to have joy again. Why? Because I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take that joy away from you. Look, your joy is not determined by your circumstances. Even today, as difficult things happen, as difficult things go on, we can still find joy because here's what we know, the final truth of what we know from this passage. Death is not final. Can I get an amen on that? Death is not final. God knew what he was doing when he sent Jesus to the cross. Because through his death, there would be victory. Through his death, Jesus would rise again. He would overcome the world as those last verses before chapter 17, which is going to be this prayer with the Father, this prayer in which Jesus is going to, to speak with his Father, and we'll save that for next week. In that moment... He says, look, I have overcome the world. The last mile of the way with them. There were more encounters to look at in Jesus' life, but this was the last mile with his disciples. And in it, he reminds them of connections. And in it, he reminds them of love. And in it, he reminds them of the peace and joy that comes in following him. Let me ask you this question this morning. What if today, what if this week is the last mile of the way for you? Your last mile with the Father, the last mile that you spend with Him on this earth. Are you spending it for Him? Have you given your life to Him? Do you belong to Him? Have you been buried in baptism with him through faith, through confessing him, through believing in him, through being buried in, in baptism with him? Have you been raised up to walk a new life with him and have that helper 
that he's given to us. Are you you right with God this morning? Because this could be the last mile of the way. What about if you've done those things, have you stayed faithful to him? Are you continuing to walk with him? Have you... Are you ready to travel the last mile of the way with him? When I've gone the last mile of the way, I will rest at the close of the day. And I know there are joys that await me when I've gone the last mile of the way. Are you prepared for that last mile as we stand and as we sing?